You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hi, it's Jamie. We recorded this episode of The Fabulous Invalid with Alana Levine on March 9th, several days before the coronavirus pandemic put a halt to live theater here in New York and around the globe, including Alana's show, The Perplexed. But we still wanted to share our interview with you. So enjoy and be well and stay safe. I'm Alana Levine and you're listening to The Fabulous Invalid. Welcome to The Fabulous Invalid, Broadway's podcast where we present essential conversations with a curated roster of the best, most important, and innovative theater makers working today, from actors to writers, directors, designers, and everyone in between. We took our name from the title of a 1938 play by Kaufman and Hart that has since become a loving nickname for Broadway itself, always deemed on the verge of decline, yet always bouncing back, The Fabulous Invalid. I'm theater savant Jamie Dumont. And I'm Rob Russo, writer and theater critic with StageLeft.NYC and host of Stage Left, the podcast, also on the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, Rob. Hi, Jamie. Well, if you couldn't tell, dear listener, uh, from the noise in the background, we are back at Orso. From the plates clanking? The plates clanking. Clank, clank, I can't say that. Clanking. Clanking. Clank, clank, clank. It's like Chichester. Plates. Chichester, I know. It's yeah. a hard one. It's a hard one. Hard one to say. I had a friend who couldn't say chrysanthemum. Chrysanthemum tea. Yes. Wow. Well, it wasn't Stephen Sondheim. No. <laughs> I've no wish to remind you, but you'll notice just behind you there are ships in the bay. They've been sitting there all day with a letter to convey, and they haven't gone away. And there's every indication that they're planning to stay, my lord. Have some tea, my lord, some chrysanthemum tea. It's an herb that's superb for disturbances at sea. Is the shogun feeling better? Good, now what about this letter? Is it wise to delay, my lord? With the days disappearing, might we benefit from hearing what the soothsayers say, my lord? Well, we're back at Orso. Spring has sprung. It has. We're here. We're here. Yeah. But we have a fabulous guest oh, that we're very excited about. My gosh. She's sort of a sister of sorts. Yeah. Well, oh, I'd be honored. Honored. Truly honored. Yes. Well, I meant a sister in, in, in the in, podcast. In the podcast. No, I know. World, I know. That's right? what I mean. It's an honor. And we are talking about the one and only Alana Levine. Yes. I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled. That she it's... could find time on her day off because she is a working actor. That's right. That's right. Alana Levine began her career in Robert Altman's political send-up, Tanner 88, reprising her role again in 2004 in Tanner on Tanner. On Broadway, she played roles in Neil Simon's Jake's Women and Alfred Urey's The Last Night of Ballyhoo before creating the role of Lucy Van Pelt in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Uh, I mean... That revival in 1999 was everything. It changed lives. Yeah. <laughs> it did. And she currently stars as Natalie in Richard Greenberg's The Perplexed at Manhattan Theatre Club. Yes, yes. And beyond her many stage credits, uh, Alana's appeared on TV uh, in such hits as HBO's Divorce, Law and Order, Damages, and Seinfeld, um, and is the host and creator of the enormously popular podcast and film series, Little Known Facts, which uh, Jamie and I are huge fans of. I have to say, and I plan to tell her this, that you know I had never listened to a podcast before I listened to Little Known Facts. It was like my... My, she was the gateway drug that got me hooked on wow. podcasts. I know. She's I my did, dealer. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, I would have assumed it would have been a political or no, an NPR no, kind no, of No, because I live podcast. politics. I don't want to listen to people talk yeah. about it, you know? No, I, I, that I get, but, yeah, yeah, you no. know, we make assumptions. Well, sure, sure. Um, no, but Alana is like the godmother of the theater podcast world. I feel like she was doing this before anyone else was. I would like to ago. say she's the goddess of the podcasts. Goddess. I like that. I like that. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to talk to her about all of those things, right? The Perplexed, which we just saw. We saw last night. Um, and Charlie Brown and podcasting, uh, all the above. All right, let's do it. Let's get to it. Well, Alana, thank you for joining us tonight. I'm so happy. On your day off, which yeah. is huge yeah. that you came down on a, on a day off of a, of a 
of a show. It's yes. a hard schedule. It is, but for you guys, I not only did I come down, I did it with a big smile. Oh. Oh. Well, Alana, the uh, the play that uh, that Jamie's alluding to is Richard Greenberg's The Perplexed, which is currently playing at Manhattan Theatre Club. Uh, and you are starring as Natalie, is it Hochberg or Hotchberg? Um, I believe it's, uh, the way I say it, is Hochberg, Hochberg, Resnick, Hochberg Resnick. And Mr. Greenberg has not corrected there me. There you go. So, so, so far, so yeah. good. <laughs> so what can you tell us about Natalie and how she fits into the story of this play? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, you would think... Uh, I've I've had the luxury of doing many interviews about this play already. I yeah. still can't figure out like a where great begin, sound right? bite yeah. where to begin because it is such like a big soup of ideas yeah. and and every idea Richard Greenberg has ever had seems to be somehow <laughs> found in this play. Um, I'll I'll say very the basic story is that it's a wedding and two families who haven't seen each other in 20 years are gathered in one room for this wedding because <laughs> their children are getting married. There's so much back history <laughs> and even under the best of circumstances family gatherings can be fraught, right? Mm -hmm. This is the worst of circumstances. <laughs> um, and so I am entering a room where my son is marrying the daughter of a woman who I feel in some ways, uh, and this may be quite justified, and you saw the play, yes. so you can agree or disagree, ruined our lives. Mm. Um, sh this woman played by Margaret Colin, who is so brilliant yeah. uh, in this play, and Frank Wood plays her husband, and the great Tony-nominated actor Greg Edelman plays my husband, <laughs> um, and we just have a lot of history between us, and the plan was as two couples to never see each other again, and somehow, What's also remarkable in this play is very young people are getting married. It's sort of Shakespearean in the way, like these ch this child-looking yeah. bride and groom, because <laughs> most people don't get married in their 20s. It's not that they don't, but it's not as popular as it's it It's unusual. Was, yeah. Right? So first of all, just that our children are getting married at such a young age when you're like, are you sure? Right. Like, you have your whole lives. Why don't you see <laughs> who else you want to date? Um, but they are getting married, and so here we are. And not only are we stuck together, we are in the home of this patriarch of the family who is basically like the uber-responsible yeah. person for ruining all our lives. And so <laughs> it's sort of like we're trapped in hell for one night. Um, and it's about sort of where we are as a culture right now politically, mm -hmm. how different generations are handling, how the world has changed, certainly in American politics. Um, and these are people who consider themselves liberals. Yeah. Um, they're liberals with a lot of money, so it's a very specific kind of liberal who have devoted their lives to doing good um, and spending their money toward doing good. And now the whole world is upside down. Yeah. Um, that's like as short an answer <laughs> yeah. as I can give. <laughs> well, done. Yes. Well, um, and Sid, you saw the play. If you yes. were confused, that's kind of what it was about. Yeah, yeah. No. I, I was not confused because I think what I what I loved about the play, aside from the fact that it's an embarrassment of riches yes. in terms of great actors. Oh my gosh! Literally <laughs> everyone on that yeah. stage, including the young kids who are probably slightly less known yeah. than everyone else. They're but they will not be less known for long. Not they're right. gorgeous. And actors. everybody looks gorgeous. I mean, the costumes are great. It's a beautiful set. Santo Laquasto. I mean, uh. you can't can, you can't get much whole, better than that. No, you yeah. can't. <laughs> What I loved about the play is how the story is sort of given to you in little tidbits. Yes. Right off the bat, you learn, without knowing too much, that, oh, there's friction here, there's yeah. tension here. And yet, the way everything's played, it was a while before I realized that you and Margaret Colin's characters were really adversaries. Sure. Because of the way you two play it, you play it with such history. Yeah. And, and again, it's a wedding, right? Everybody's on their best behavior. And you come into a wedding with the agreement as you're getting dressed, right? You and your, your partner or whoever you're going with to a fraud situation. <laughs> let's be on our, let's get through it. Yeah, the let's gym is neutral territory. Conflict, yeah. right? And <laughs> then, exactly. And then within 10 minutes, maybe <laughs> if you get that far, it all like bubbles to the surface. It's like peeling an onion, yes. yeah. this play, yeah. and, yes. and which, I, which I love, which I think is so interesting, um, the way that it's constructed. Also, how fun to be in a play with nine other characters. It's so when does that happen fun. anymore, right? Who can afford it except right? Manhattan Theater Club? Uh, People just kept coming on stage and was like, wow, more I characters. Know. You know? I know. And then there are characters who are spoken about the whole right. time. The people keep waiting mm -hmm. to come on because there are so many of us. They're like, well, where's this villain? When yeah. is he going to enter? Yeah. Um, it is pure joy. And that's why I wanted to. I have loved 
I have been in New York long enough that I saw Sideman, the original production that Frank Wood won yes. a Tony for. I mean, he's been in, you know, a play a minute, like right. Network five minutes ago and yeah. Iceman Cometh and all these things. But he's someone that I just, I'm in the play with him and I'm working with him and I'm like, is he David Copperfield? Like the magic <laughs> that is happening because it's all so subtle and nuanced. And then you have Margaret Colin who you're like, it's Margaret Cole, and you're like, oh, I've seen every movie and TV show she's ever done. And, right. and she's got this power. She is really intimidating. And my character is intimidated by her, as mm. is Alana, although mm. we just laugh hysterically backstage the entire time. So there's just all of these, um, I don't know, gorgeous actors. And Eric William Morris, who had starred in King Kong yes. last season, who uh, is taking on the opportunity of being in a play, not a musical, and owning it. And just, I love that. And Greg Edelman, I love how many musical theater people right. are in this play that is not one bit of musical. Right. But um, it's big like a musical. It is. Right? And it we're does. Exhausted it, like we're in a musical. Yeah, <laughs> but you're all why. running around. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I just have to say, because years ago, I worked on a play. Um, that starred Margaret Colin, and which one? It was called Jackie. Yeah, we talk about it all the time. Oh, okay. Yes. So I, she was Jackie Kennedy. She was yes. Jackie yes. Kennedy in a play. play. It was yeah. sort of a farce. It was it was a wonderful play that for, unfortunately didn't run very long. But she was such a magnificent company leader, and it was I was young. It was my like second show sure. that I worked on on Broadway, and I just I will never forget just how. She just she I, what's the word I'm looking for? She just Set the tone? She, she was like just this incredible captain of this mm. slightly unstable she ship. She is <laughs> so disciplined. She appreciates the theater. You know, she had a movie career yeah. that was really fancy and <laughs> always came back to the theater. And the irony of that is Lisa Emery's son is also in Jackie. It uh, is in my play. Zane Pius, who plays You're Micah, is Lisa's son. So okay, so after the we went after we went to the after the dress rehearsal. So I did the marketing for the show. I worked okay. on the marketing for the show. So for I was not Jackie. A, Jackie. for Jackie. So yes. I was not an actor. Okay, but we went to the final dress, and we came. Our office was in the Helen Hayes Theater, so it was very close to the Blasco. So we after the dress rehearsal at night, we came back to like do our marketing plan, and all we could talk about was this woman we'd never heard of before, Lisa Emery, and how brilliant she was, and like. <laughs> Just it, you know that moment where you discover yeah, that, and you feel like you've discovered her. Exactly, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm Christopher Cynthia. Columbus. <laughs> yeah, you know. Right. Well, some of the other actors were known, you know, yep. in that play. Margaret, obviously, she was just off of Independence Day. Yep. She was a big star at that time, and yeah. is still today. Right. But um, yeah, Lisa Emery. Oh my God. So well, that's I just her son. Was watching uh, at Manhattan Theater Club on Mondays. They do these readings, um, and I. Uh, I had forgotten something in my dressing room yesterday. The idea that I was going back to Manhattan Theater Club today was absurd. But I forgot <laughs> something. And I walked in and they were about to do a reading and there was Lisa. And I was like, oh. And so I watched most uh, of it before I came to see you guys instead uh, of napping on the equity right. pot secretly. Um, and she was wonderful as uh, always. And well, the amazing thing about Manhattan Theater Club, I'm a bit of a nerd who has hundreds and hundreds of playbills going back to the you know, 40s, 50s. I love you. Um, and anytime I stumble across one that was a Manhattan Theater Club production, I always stop and look at who was in it because Lynn Meadow has this freak talent of being able to identify who's going to be big, yeah. right? I mean, it's like any Hollywood star who they say, oh, you know, they got their start in the theater. I always know, MTC. Yeah. Lynn cast them in a show when they were 18 and yes. now they're like the big box office draw in Hollywood, right? And the writers, <laughs> the John Patrick yes. Shanleys mm -hmm. and the Paula Vogels and the Terrence McNallys right. and I mean, all of these people who, who came out of her theater. Right. I think she's been running it for almost 50 years. Since I don't even I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. Since 1972. So, yes, yeah. math is not my friend, but <laughs> 48, guys, you were very around close. There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> math is more of your friend than you know. Yeah. There you go. There you go. I'm always shortchanging myself. Yeah. There you go. So you're in this wonderful play mm -hmm. with a large cast, complicated story, perplexing. Perplexing. How do you like? How do you prepare for a show? Like, what's your process? So this was really different, and it's funny because I also have a podcast, and I thought, how great! I've had like almost 200 of my favorite actors on the planet, and the most celebrated actors yeah. on the planet shared their tricks with me. Why don't I listen to my podcast yeah. and see how do I prepare for this play? Um, and I remember 
Bill Camp and some other people that I love talking about how Evo, when he hires his actors, wants them off book before the first day of rehearsal. Um, that's also true for Diane Paulus. There are a bunch of like brilliant directors who have asked whenever possible. I've never done that before. I've always been the actor who sort of finds my way through blocking and through rehearsal. But when I got the offer for this play, kind of out of the blue, I love Richard Greenberg so much, Three Days of Rain, if I had to go to a deserted island like and bring one Samuel French edition of a play, it would be Three Days of Rain. Um, and my husband starred in the original Take Me Out. So just also, like, we got married during that play. Like, he's just very sparkly and special to me. Um, I read it when they sent it to me, and I thought, oh, I could not possibly do this play because I could not possibly learn all these lines. Like, there's no way. Like, how charming of them to think of me. Dear Manhattan Theater Club, I will happily come see this play, but there's no way I could ever imagine being on stage saying all these lines. I've never had... Um, apart with so many monologues. I've had like wonderful luck with some great big parts, but not people who talk for pages and pages and pages using vocabulary I have never heard of. Like I had to use a dictionary when I I turned to Jamie and I was like, wow, these are some smart people. Oh my God. (laughs) And everyone is like that. So I was really intimidated. So I thought I must show up already off book. I mean, that's the first thing I'm going to do. I was offered this part in September and I didn't start rehearsal till January. So that's a pretty rare thing that you know so far in advance. Like that never happens. So I, at first my family was doing it and then after three days I'd be like, hey, like my kid, they'd be like, we can never do that with you again. It's really (laughs) because it's just no fun to run lines. So I hired someone who it didn't have to be fun for. And when I felt so guilty that they were sitting with me as I was struggling, I was like, I am paying them there are worse jobs to have. And maybe there aren't. Maybe at the end of the day, my intern would say there are no worse jobs to have than running lines with Alana, but that was it. I learned all of the lines beforehand, and it turned out to actually not be problematic. And I thought, well, how will I understand organically what's going on with my character if I already have learned it with this sweet guy who's coming over to run lines with me and it was I will always do that from now on even with a part that's not such heavy lifting um, it's a remarkable thing and it made me just feel like oh I'm so ahead of the game yeah you know. Did it help you so it helped you find your character it helped me know my lines <laughs> it helped me have the confidence to start moving around Santo Lacosto's rehearsal room is almost as gorgeous and detailed as the set you guys saw. So unlike most rehearsal spaces where you have like a table, a chair, and a piece of paper representing the book or whatever, you, like we had everything. Um, and so somehow by already knowing the lines and not carrying around, by the way, the script weighs 700 pounds. I can imagine. You sat through the play. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, yeah, there's a lot going on. It's a lot of, um, it was so liberating. And then I thought like, oh, I'm really scared. And I'm, I thought about all the people I've talked to on my show who talk about how scared they are. And I'm like, and they, that's just part of it. Yeah. Don't not do it because you're scared. These are such obvious things. I really needed to learn these lessons But sometimes the obvious things are the hardest things to recognize Uh or to see. And also fear is a great motivator. Oh, yeah. Right? Fear is a good... (laughs) There's there's value in fear. I don't know. I mean, I've had friends like send me beta blockers. I mean, there's lots of tricks that actors use. Mm. And I sit there every night when my heart is pounding in my chest and I'm, I'm like, ooh, should I take a half and I haven't yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you go over your lines every night every night my yeah. script is in my dressing room yeah. with me um, there are certain scenes I don't have to do that with anymore but my mono, my scenes where I'm the only one talking yeah. for page after page after page yeah you have quite a few of those yes yeah that's your <laughs> character trait my character walks in a room and rather than see what's happening or take the temperature of the room she comes in with what's ever on her mind and it's irrelevant whether other people <laughs> yeah. are interested maybe they were doing something else. it's not ever I'm sorry do you have a moment or am I interrupting right. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's amazing. Uh, there's a part in the in the play um, 
where your husband, uh, Greg Edelman, um, says of your character, I'm paraphrasing, um, that uh, she's kind to everyone and wants to help everyone, even when people don't need any help. Yes. Right? Which yes. is like the perfect encapsulation of yes. what you've just described. And I've talked to Rich Greenberg about it. Like he was telling me, you know, about someone from his own life. Yeah. Uh, and someone, a, a mutual friend of ours who we love. When I was starting to feel self-conscious about my character, I was like, I don't want to be the person who comes on stage and everyone like rolls their eyes. And he yeah. was like, well... <laughs> He's like, he's like, you're not. You've, you've, you've. There's charm here, but there are people who are more interested in their agenda than making other people comfortable. He's like, that's just not comfortable for you. Right. I lead with our, you know, right. what it's can not I who get you? you? Are, are you okay? Yeah. How can I? And he's like, the two of you have the same agenda. You want to help. Yours is to do it in a way that is more sensitive, or making sure they need help. <laughs> right. And my character is just like. She's always, life is triage. She's a triage yeah. nurse wherever she yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, when you're in a Richard Greenberg play, you feel this kind of, you have to lean into it. You have to rise up to the language. So already you feel, I don't know, you feel like you need to bring some sort of intellectual A-game. Yet when there were things we didn't understand, because we don't, we don't <laughs> live in this world, I just felt like his openness and Lynn's openness to like really making things clear. She's like, look, once you do this play, you're gonna speak in this language and you're gonna live in this world as if you've lived there forever, which is a world of higher education and, and entitlement and money. So you have to feel like you belong in a really rich person's house. You have yeah. to feel like this dress is not a costume, but that you wear, you know, this very expensive. I mean, there's there's all these ways in which they're like a royal family. Yeah. These people. It's so one percenty. Um, but also, this is the place to ask all the dumb questions to talk about what's uncomfortable in this moment in time playing these people. Mm. It is uncomfortable. That's interesting. What wasn't? What what? Can you pinpoint anything specifically that was uncomfortable in playing these in playing your character? I would say that this is a play where. As much as these people walk the walk of being and talk the talk of being of service, they are also living in multi-million dollar. <laughs> My character is going into all these schools where there are really underprivileged children, but she gets dropped off in an Escalade, right? right? I mean, so, so it's sort of like... There's a little bit of a disconnect. And there's porn. There's, there and is there's porn. There is in its fetish porn, so it's specific. Yeah. Um, we won't tell you what it is. But you it's have great. To, it's great. Well, you know what I love? I love the way... I, My 90-year-old father and 87-year-old mother were also at the play last night. Oh, my gosh. Um, they were excited about those scenes as yeah. well. I, I can imagine. <laughs> when, right over their head. I don't even know. But what was What? It's interesting how it's dealt with. The other characters are all very matter-of-fact about it. You know, and it's also, I don't want to give anything away, but it's also a beautiful moment where something is slow, again, this onion, where something is slowly revealed and you go, oh, there's a lot more we're going to learn about these, this particular relationship. And also, porn being done by a rich white kid. Right. Versus, like, for fun right. and profit. Versus someone who's, like, sold into... You know, a horrible scenario, mm. and being for so, so there's, it's so complicated. It yeah. is complicated, and also fun. He's, I feel like he's also doing it for shock value, right? The there's, kid, the kid, yeah, the the, he, right, yeah. right. So there's, there's Maybe. that that element is a possibility. Yes, for in sure. this family, and how yeah, do you get attention right. in this family? Yeah. Right, which which is hard to do, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Everyone's that, fabulous. That plot line is, you know, I said to Jamie at intermission, I've never seen that dramatized before. I've never seen a family sort of grappling with the idea of a younger member engaging and in And blowing up in, this on page six the day as, before yeah, the wedding. As, yeah. a, as an avocation, you yeah. know? So fascinating. Yeah. And like really if that were your family. Like it's one thing when you're in it. In, in, also the play's really funny. So yes, there's very it, funny. It, yes. The pendulum swings between <laughs> deeply painful scenes of conversion therapy and, mm. you know, generationally you have a father who was you know, receiving electric shock therapy to stop being gay, right. who's now in his 60s, and his 20-something-year-old son doing gay porn for fun. Right. So even that, sort of where we are within the same family, mm. it's just, it kind of a lot of, can we talk about this? Um, 
fact, is it okay that we're talking about this on your show? Of oh, course. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Nothing's no. off limits. No. Nothing's off limits. I find limits. this fascinating. No. no, I mean, I, and again, we can, we can, we can switch topics in a second, but <laughs> I, I really thought that the way that the themes in this play were handled was brilliant. Yeah. And there's a lot going on. And, and it's all done, as you said, it's, it's almost, there's a certain like 30s comedy to this play sure. where everyone's dressed up and yeah. it's all very elegant. Right. And, and Noel yeah. Cowardy in a right. way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or Philip Berry or one yeah. of those great old plays. And yet the themes are really modern and really yeah. current contemporary and yeah. and the way that i think that the way that it's all presented together makes you lean in and pay attention which is fantastic and my 13 year old like my kids saw it too and i was like of course they're going to come i've been gone for months they yeah. should see like what mom is doing. Yeah, which call They read the early versions of it with you, you know. <laughs> exactly. They were like, what? Um, but even like their perspectives on, like they got everything. Right. You know, my, my son was like needed a, a further explanation. Like the idea of conversion therapy, he was like, on what planet right. would anyone? I mean, he was growing up with theater parents. Right. Like, what? Right. Like, uh, his parents are the only non-gay people he knows. Um, <laughs> You're the weirdos, you know? <laughs> totally. Me. Like, what's wrong with you? Um, can you be also? But, you know, he was like, that was so upsetting to him. And he didn't quite even understand what Frank Wood was talking about. Right. And then But he knew, he, knew, he sensed it. He sensed yes, there was something yes. very upsetting here. And then here. afterwards, yeah. he was like, well, what kind of world? Right? Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah. Well, doesn't so, that just give you hope for the future, right? You it know? does. And right there. I, I, And the other thing I want to say is, when I said reading, all of the young actors come in every day to rehearsal, now that we're in production, reading. Like, I think people in their 20s are the last generation that didn't grow up with an iPhone from the mm. minute they had mm -hmm. a phone. Like, they graduated from, like, a flip phone. So... Right. And maybe they're just a uniquely special group of actors, but they're like doing the Times crossword puzzle every day. They're intellectually curious. They're really wanting to talk about big ideas and had more to offer in some ways the conversations around this play. So in terms of feeling hopeful for the future, yeah. there's certainly, there's like a pre-iPhone and a post-iPhone generation. <laughs> and I feel like I've got the last of the pre-iPhone yeah. actors on yeah. my team here. And um, I'm grateful for that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah. It is a very specific thing. I've I've talked to friends about it because I'm 32. Right. So I didn't I didn't have a phone growing up. I didn't. I mean, we had some internet when I was in high school, really. But right. like, but it you wasn't were writing really... college papers on a computer, but I was. not so, a typewriter. Right. right. So, but I so I, I experienced both, though. Right. I yes. was uh, on the yeah. sort of You're transitional right era, yes. right, where I can remember the world before, and I was on the front end of the world after, right. And there's a generation below me, as you describe, who have never known life without an iPhone. Yeah. And then there's a generation above me who, you know, this was something that became a part of their lives in their 30s. Sure. You know, which is so fascinating to think right. about and how it shapes behavior and how you interact with the world and, and, and people. In <laughs> this play, most of us are not on our phone. Even though we're at a wedding in one the room the whole yeah. night, you would think like we'd all be on our phones yeah. to sort of get through the Well, the evening, bride's texting with a lot of folks. She's looking for her groom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is another subplot. Yeah, right? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I just want to end the phone thing by saying <laughs> that I, and I think, Alana, you will know what this term means, I love splitting up groups by saying, do you understand what dialing the phone with a pencil means? Because if you do, then, and 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 I think you, you know what I'm, do you yeah, know what I, I mean by that? Mean. Okay. I know what you mean. Yeah. So, but you've seen that in movies. Movies, yeah, right. Yeah, for me, it's somewhat academic. I've never you, had to do right. it. didn't watch your mother do it. Your family no, we had, we always a had a push button, button phone, phone right. on yeah. the wall. Although yeah. it had that really long cord. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So I miss that. And twirling it and lying on your bed. Yeah. 
Yeah. That was me. Broadway cast album in one hand and my phone on the other. Was it a princess phone? Of course. Of course. It was yellow. What was it? was yellow. I had yellow in my head. There you go. Wow. And by the way, when I got that phone line, it was literally like, how am I ever going to top this moment. Right, right. right. Your world ecstasy. was... Yeah. How could technology advance further than your own Were you a teenager when you got your own phone? Yeah. Yeah. I was in high school. Oh, It was wow. huge. It was huge. Yeah. It's a big... Very few things have given me maybe the birth of my children, <laughs> my time maybe. on the fabulous invalid. Yeah, exactly. Oh. But very few yeah, things. Very, very heady. Things. Yes. Well, speaking of traveling back in time, yes. um, we can't sit here with you and not talk about Charlie Brown. We can't. We can't. We which, can't not we, talk about so it. So I have to say two things. <laughs> yes. One, um, I mentioned this marketing company that I worked for. We did the marketing for that show. So I worked for Nancy Richards. Of who, who did the marketing on Charlie Brown. Is and she the one who came up with the idea of us doing three shows on Saturday? No. <laughs> well, here's like the thing. Like we were Rockettes. <laughs> I had forgotten about that until I listened to your Broadway con reunion oh, with yeah. the cast. Yes. I had forgotten that you guys did a 11 o'clock on a so we have to explain this and then go listen to your Broadway con episode because yes. it's fabulous but you guys did two three on Saturday right it was like 11, 11 33 and eight, 8 or something three oh shows gosh. on a Saturday uh-huh. of a big musical yes but then when we did that and that did not last very long because <laughs> it's insane it was, <laughs> it was insane we had off Tuesday and Wednesday. Like it was weird. We could oh, go at we could literally yeah. go on vacation like yes. into another country. Yeah. So yeah. part of it was like, oh, this is awful. And then part of it was like, this is fantastic. Yeah. Except I never felt like, you know, you want to give every single shit like if you're right. doing it, whether someone's coming at eleven on a Saturday or eight on a Friday, like you want to give them an amazing show. Of course. And I felt like the eleven AM we were sometimes a little sleepy. Yeah. The integrity yeah. of it wasn't. Well, it's, yeah, it was compromised. Because yeah. you had an 8 o'clock on Friday. Before, right. And then, you know, I think everybody listening to this podcast understands that when you do a show, you don't just go home and go to bed, yeah, you're right? Wired. You're wired. We, we were here. Yeah. We were here yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You're out having fun. Yeah. And then you have to be ready. And nobody wants to sing at 11 o'clock in the morning. No. And that that's means tough. you're getting. It is tough. And of course, that's when every like, audition for a musical you have. They're like, right. oh, your, your time's 11 a.m. You're like, that's fantastic. Great. <laughs> Could it be 10? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm up at 7. <laughs> I won't sleep the night before, so I will be up. Yeah, exactly. Um, And even though, you know, it was a big musical with a very small cast, so we were carrying a lot of, you know, extra stuff aside from just doing the show. But but I've said this before, like, that was such a... I never expected to be in a musical. I was someone who grew up loving them, my princess phone and musicals. Um, I went to a musical to celebrate every occasion in my life growing up. I grew up in New Jersey, so I was one of those lucky people who had this geographical proximity. Um, So it wasn't uh, the tour. It was the actual original production. And my mom, who grew up in Brooklyn, uh, just loved the theater and and brought us to everything. Even when we were, you know, I saw a chorus line, you know, my mom's like, oh my God, what is she gonna ask? I was like, what's a resume? Like, I, it was like, <laughs> I was too little for some things and right like in the sweet spot for other things. And when this Charlie Brown thing came up, I was like, I don't, I mean, this is no secret. I, I'm not a singer. I never, there wasn't a single musical on my resume and Michael Mayer had seen me in a play and just was like, I want to see her for this. And I think I said, I mean, I'm not being grand. I kept saying no out of, like, not fear, like, oh, do it if you're fearful. I did not know how to sing. So I went, and people listen to that cast recording, and they'll probably agree with that (laughs) statement. Um, but, But I, they said yes. And I thought, okay, if these, if this, if Jerry Mitchell and Andrew Lippa and Michael Mayer and Kim Grigsby, who was our wonderful musical director, are saying I can do it, I, all right, it's on them. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not on me. And then they did the brilliant thing of creating this kind of, this role of Sally and hiring Kristen Chenoweth, who really, 
I had seen her in the New Brain. A New Brain? Yes. A New Brain. At Lincoln Center. Pretty recent, like, yeah, it was like the, the season yeah. before. And, and had she done Steel Pier? Yes. Was that after? Yeah. Yeah. She'd done Steel but Pier. I hadn't seen that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm at New Brain and I'm sitting with Cynthia Nixon, who we are Wednesday matinee ladies. Yeah. It's us. We now have blue hair, so we fit right <laughs> in, but we've always like been obsessed with going to see matinees together. And we both turned to each other and we were like, Who is that? Unbelievable! Like we want to know her. Mm -hmm. Like who is that girl? She is unbelievable. That moment of discovery. Tiny. Like she was the. Yeah, we're like holy, holy Kristen Chen with Batman. Calamari. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, calamari. They hired her because they needed obviously someone who could sing amazingly well, and um, and the rest is history in terms of what that part and that song, my new philosophy that Andrew wrote for her. Life changing. Now life is free and easy. Much more philosophy with my brand new. You know, someone has said that we should live each day as if it were the last day of our life. Ah, this is the last day. This is it. I only have 24 hours left. Help me, help me. This is the last day. Ah! Clearly, some philosophies aren't for all people. And that's my new philosophy. And to this day, we have a text thread. Our cast has a text thread. Um, they're my family. They are just the best people. And they took me along with them. And, and Anthony would stand, you know, off stage when I was doing stuff and laugh the hardest. And <laughs> I'm like, he would sing Rent songs in the dressing room to warm up. And I was like, what is happening? Where am I? Mark Cohen is Charlie Brown. I I saw Rent 1,000 times. There's only us. There's only this. Sorry, excuse me, oops. And you are. Oh, I'm not. I'm just here to I don't have. I'm here with Mark, Mark, I'm Mark. It was a a one-off in my life um, in terms of musicals. It was everything you think being in a Broadway musical is, right? Right. Mark Cohen. (laughs) Right. And Roger Bard and Stanley Uh, Wayne Mathis and uh, B.D. Wong. And I mean, it was just unending fun, really hard work. And the audiences were just the most joyous, celebratory people to be in the company of. I've been to many, many, many first previews. <clears throat> been to many, many, many Are first so previews in right my. Now? I am choked up. Um, <laughs> in my 25 years living in New York City, I've never experienced an audience like the first preview of Charlie really? Brown. It was electric. It was really. Spectacular, because I think also that everybody knows that that show. Yeah, a lot of people do it in high school, school or grade school. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, it's a yeah. thing, and, and and that production was so magical and opened up and yes. colorful and Big. unexpected yeah, on a scale that you've never seen the show done. Right, before. and I, it was very special. And that night was electric. That night and closing night. Mm. I mean, I've been. I've been again. I've been in audiences of musicals. I haven't. I haven't had that experience that you're talking about. Um, but I did feel like I don't know. It was making people really happy, and of all ages. And and the Peanuts are so iconic. Yeah. It was such an international audience. It was like the inter. It was like the international language of love and happiness. Yeah. Whether you were from Japan or Staten Island, like <laughs> you had these characters, and and they're so iconic. And playing Lucy. Like, it was such an honor. Happiness is a great word to describe it. Yes. Quite literally. It really was. It really was. Happiness is morning and evening, daytime and nighttime, too. For happiness is anyone and anything at all that's loved by. Well, speaking of uh, song titles, yes. um, Little Known Facts. Yeah. It's a little little ditty that you uh, are familiar with. Uh, and it's the name of your podcast. Yeah. Uh, which you started a couple years ago. Three years Three ago. Three years ago. Wow. Yeah. 
And I have to say, um, as much as I, you know, I have two podcasts now, and I do it, you know, we do a, an episode a week. Um, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, <laughs> but the first one I ever listened to was your podcast. And I just fell in love with the conversations that you have Thank with, you. with um, you know, theatrical personalities. Um, you've done 186 episodes? Something like around that, there. Yeah. There's in, a bunch in, in the years. can, so I don't... Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yes. It's hard to know. I, we know I the feeling. I stockpiled yeah. before I started this play, so yeah. it could keep oh, going. Oh, smart, You smart. know, you miss yeah, a week, we do people that. are yep. like... Oh, yeah. Fu- they're furious You get you. letters. Uh, you're you like, know. wow, yeah. okay, thank you. So I'm wondering, how, how did you get the idea to start a podcast? Because three years ago, you know, podcasts weren't right. a, a thing no, yet, really. No, they weren't. Yeah. I mean, I... I uh, it was really one of those things. A friend of mine, um, we were at a party, and he was like, do you want to do a podcast? And I had just, it was a weird moment. I had just done, this is so crazy. I'll try to tell <laughs> this really in a short way. I had had a conversation. I guess it's a life coach. I was at this moment where I wanted to find uh some kind of new creative outlet in my life and a friend had gifted me because they had worked with this person a very well-known tony award-winning person who i trust implicitly like had a free one because she had worked with this person and she was like i'm giving it to you and i was like okay so i'm on the phone with this woman and she and I, so I did the free session, yeah. <laughs> um, which sort of ended with me. And it's it's not like a, a mind-blowing thing, I'm going to say, but she was like, pay attention to what brings you joy and say yes to things that you wouldn't ordinarily say yes to. And I was like, okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> and uh, the next day, I was at a cocktail party, and this friend of mine who has a production studio, he's a filmmaker, and... Um, had just absorbed like a podcast business into this thing. He's like, it's so weird, but I was just thinking whenever I'm with you, it was very sweet. He's like, I tell you things that I never would imagine telling someone. I don't know how or why, um, but it made me think when we were talking about possible hosts, would that be something you'd want to do? And I was like, nope. (laughs) And I was like, wait, wait. And I called Life him back the next day. And I was like, I don't, right. And I was like, because I, I don't know, it would have never occurred to me. Yeah. But then I really thought about it. So I called him back the next day. I was like, I, I meant to say yes. I forgot my homework is to say yes. Um, but also I thought about the way you approach a character, right? It's like you just ask a million questions. What, what is, who is this person? How did they, like all the questions I would ask of myself when I'm researching a character. So that was sort of my, like my journalism 101 thing. But then I thought like, who do I know that anyone would be, I'm not that interesting. So if I'm gonna do this, who will come on that anyone other than me? And then I bumped into John Slattery, who's one of my oldest friends. Um, uh, It was sort of, Mad Men had ended, I think a minute ago. Yeah. Um, And so he was free. And then when Slattery came on, that was a pretty good starter one because he's so beloved in both the film, television, and Broadway community. And then I've said this before, like when you were talking about those who know how to dial a phone with a pencil, like the beautiful thing, Charlie Brown was 21 years ago now, like when you've done something or been a part of a beautiful community like this for as long as you have, there are many things about getting older that are really painful. But the collection of incredible people that you bring along with you if you're fortunate, and I have been really fortunate. And so my first 20 or 25 episodes are like cast by cast going through people. And then once that happened, and Julianne Moore is an old friend of mine, so when she came on, PR people started calling. Do you know what I mean? Like, so then... That's a, and it's then, almost a domino effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then I was like, whoa, 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 no, I'm just, let's keep it, <laughs> like, I don't mean every week. Like, I didn't know that it would become such uh, a regular thing. Such a yeah. regular yeah. thing. Yeah. And then it just happened because it was just a labor of love. And I don't know if I had sought out to do a successful podcast. I don't know that it would have happened. Right. I think it was because I wanted to 
I don't know, find a place to see people I love. And, and when we started out, this didn't exist. There wasn't access. I mean, James Lipton did his show, God Bless Him, We Just Lost Him. That was exciting to watch Mm -hmm. his, you know, actor studio thing. But there weren't conversations about the non, I don't know, photoshopped version of a life in the arts. Right. And so I really wanted to have a place where young Alana starting out wanted to understand what the real life of an artist was, the ups and downs and the triumphs and the devastating moments and like what makes someone keep going. I thought, oh, how cool would it have been? Yeah. And so as long as it goes on, as long as people want to listen, I'm so happy to get to do it. Yeah. And to meet you, like I keep meeting the most (laughs) extraordinarily beautiful people in this podcasting network. Yeah, it's, it's a, been really lovely. It ha- yeah, it's it and it as it grows and grows and it, it becomes it becomes it keeps becoming new and different things. This yeah. whole this whole podcasting world. It's very interesting. And you'll see, I don't know if you guys are going to do it or do, but then like I do a lot of live events mm-hmm. and then you get to meet the people right. who are listening yeah. and it's so much fun it's because very cool. they yeah. come if they live close enough yeah. and and you sort of get to to see the impact and and it's really beautiful to get to interact not just online but with people in person and I can say thank you to them yeah. in a real way like yeah. it only happens because they listened and shared it and told their you know acting studio teacher about <laughs> it so that's been really fulfilling too yeah. and I have found that my worry that doing them live wouldn't I don't know retain the intimacy and it is slightly altered it is slightly performative but pretty quickly we get into just the same intimate conversation even though there are people watching because we're not talking about a specific project it's just like how do you handle the grief of losing a job you really want right. or or doing a show eight times a week. Like, it's just life stuff, yeah, really. Yeah. Right? Your life stuff just happens to be a world in the arts, yes. a career in in career in, right. yeah. in theater and film and television. Yeah. Right? And but it's, it's been good. It's still the same thing everyone experiences. That's right. Right? Loss, um, hope, happiness. There is though in other careers this idea, and it doesn't, I mean, the world's upside down right now, but there it's on is, fire. right, literally, there is a ladder, right, and there are certain careers that you can, you can sort of go up rung by rung with some certainty that if you do things right, there is, there is that possibility, and what's so crazy, like, I just saw Elizabeth Stanley this morning, she's mm-hmm. starring in Jag Little Pill, for your listeners who... The one listener who doesn't know who that is. Um, And we were talking about this moment she's having as, you know, Mrs. Healy in Jagged Little Pill. And, you know, maybe it will lead to more opportunities like this. But for now, she just has to, like, savor that it's now. Because unlike other careers... There is enough, but there isn't quite enough. You know, it's complicated. And so really this idea of like, Edie Falco came on and she was like, I would still be waiting tables in order to act. There was never an idea of like, I'm gonna make a lot of money being an actress. It's amazing that she got Sopranos, completely unexpected. Her mom did community theater her entire life. And had that been her trajectory, she would have been happy as a clam. I mean, she says that. I tend to believe her. But, like, there was no expectation of becoming a wealthy person from having a life in the arts. Right. That's like a whole new, that's like YouTube star. Like, that's right. not, yeah. who ever thought of, like, right. what? Yeah. So, like, theater and wealth, like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But so the idea that, like, if you love it, you're going to keep doing all the, Katie Finneran had one thousand, you know, she's cleaning toilets and auditioning for Noises Off in equal measure, right? right. Like, and would do it again. Right. So that's been inspiring to me to understand that if you love it, whatever it is, you don't have, it's like great if you also get paid to do it as a career, but like there's always ways to do it if you love it. Mm. And it's humbling. So it's, it, that's been really interesting to me, that kind of way of thinking, because it's not exactly how younger people are thinking about it now. Yeah, and it's, and it's important 
for younger people to hear that perspective and to understand you know that that idea of 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 pursuing something for the love of it and the joy of it and letting you know cuz we live in an era where everybody's sort of personal branding is something right. that they have to carry with them and yeah. it's become this expectation that you're not just a person you're a brand and you have to have a social media image and you have to be cultivating a clear sense of what you're doing and you know broadcasting that to the world well, and Andrew yet, Keaton Bolger told me the story he got fired when he was a kid from, was it Finding Neverland? Because I can't remember the show, but he outgrew the part. Like right. they started in Boston right. and then they got to New York and his voice had changed right. and they tried to keep him for a while and he went back home and the next month was doing like a high school play musical having as good a time right and he was like i mean it was humiliating and awful like and he's a kid so how do you understand it like really it isn't me i feel like it's me right (laughs) but then he was like oh my god i'm doing sound of music in in you know 10th grade i'm having the best time and it was such an amazing thing because he realized oh i just want to do this Mm -hmm. i ended up on this track of doing it professionally but that was like an accident my sister was doing it and (laughs) so those are like that's kind of amazing we spoke to carolee carmelo last week and she was saying how she kind of like you know to put it bluntly kind of fell into this right she loved performing she didn't think it was a possible career she majored in business in college you know and was was doing like community theater and basically got an offer to do something that would be a professional job and they were like you have to join the union and she was like the union what's that <laughs> like I just like performing I the didn't labor union I can I make money doing thing, this right? you know well, like, right. and she's Carolee Carmelo yeah. you know like yeah. oh, we or Laura Benanti like, right. a, as, at like 50 how old was she when she got started in music 17 like, 18 oh something gosh. like that yeah. she was a like, child yeah. had done it at like the community theater right. and she's like oh I know that part <laughs> right. I know all the words yeah yeah. So yeah. those are like pretty, pretty awesome yeah. and, you stories. Know, and, and, and having the opportunity to have a conversation that's not sort of not not that it, that not that it's ever adversarial, but you know you've you've done you've given press interviews before where it's, it's a very much it's a formal thing. It's right, set and you up. get talking it's, points. Right, from your you know, you're a thing, and yeah. that's the job. Exactly. You know, I find like with with, with a podcast, the the atmosphere. Can allow, whether you're at Orso or you're at a live event or yeah. you're in a studio somewhere, yeah. you know, it can allow for a relaxation and the the, the lack of a specific kind of setup or or, or well, time limit. Social. Can, yes, and we're social beings. I mean, we were talking before we started about how you know I'm realizing how often I hug people yeah. and how often I now shake hands can't. now that I can't. Right? I mean, it's wild. I mean, uh, uh, if silver lining to this pandemic, if you can if you can call it that, is like it's reminding me of our humanity and how much we're social beings. We need to be with people. We're meant to be with people and to converse and to touch and to interact. Um, and a podcast really allows for that. Yeah. Thank you, Alana. It was such a pleasure being here with you guys. It really was. Thank you. Thank you. Happiness is having a sister. Sharing a sandwich. Getting a loved by you You're a good man, Charlie Brown. Rob here with You May Be Wondering. 
As we mentioned and talked about a lot in this episode, Alana Levine stars in The Perplexed, which is having its world premiere at Manhattan Theater Club's off-Broadway stage in the basement of City Center with performances through March 29th, if you're listening to this in the year of our Lord 2020. You may be wondering, though, uh, what is Manhattan Theater Club? I hate to disappoint, it's not a club, per se, but rather one of the oldest and most distinguished nonprofit theater companies in New York City. Founded in 1970, uh, Lynn Meadow became artistic director in 1972, as we discussed with Alana. And three years later, Barry Grove was hired as managing director, later becoming executive producer. Nearly 50 years later, Lynn and Barry are still at the helm, making their partnership one of the most long-standing and successful in the nonprofit theater community. Along the way, Manhattan Theater Club, or MTC as it's known, has upheld its mission to produce innovative theater of the highest quality by American and international playwrights, with a special focus on presenting New York, American, and world premieres. As we talked about, think of a great playwright who's written in the last 50 years, and chances are they've had their work on an MTC stage. From August Wilson to A.R. Gurney, Terrence McNally, John Guare, John Patrick Shanley, David Lindsay Abair, Lynn Nottage, I could go on and on. Indeed, the MTC roster of writers, actors, directors, and designers is impressive and nearly unmatched. By the mid-1980s, MTC distinguished itself as a premier producer of important British contemporary theater in the United States, with well-received productions of plays by writers like Joe Orton, Harold Pinter, and Alan Ackburn. That tradition continues to the present, with recent transplants like Lucy Kirkwood's The Children and James Graham's Inc. In 2001, MTC announced it would restore the historic Biltmore Theater on 47th Street, giving the company a permanent home on Broadway, which opened in 2003 with a production of Richard Greenberg's The Violet Hour. Since then, the Biltmore, renamed for pioneering Broadway publicist Samuel J. Friedman in 2008, has played host to at least three productions every year, in addition to MTC's two off-Broadway stages in the basement of New York City Center on 55th Street, which they've had since 1984. MTC remains a premier destination for theatergoers in New York. Barely a month goes by that I don't find myself at one of its three stages and is increasingly focused on diversity and inclusion in its programming, not to mention increasing access with its 30 Under 35 program, which offers $30 tickets to patrons 35 and under. As you plan your theater going, be sure to put MTC on your radar. Rob here. That's our show. Thanks for listening. You can hear us anytime on iTunes. In this election year, are you looking to make a statement and make change? Well, check out Social Goods, an online store that offers a curated slate of statement-making merchandise that gives back to nonprofits, tackling some of today's most pressing issues, from every town for gun safety to Planned Parenthood of New York, the Special Olympics, and more. Best of all, we've partnered with Social Goods to offer a special discount for listeners of The Fabulous Invalid. Go to social-goods.com and use the code FAB15 at checkout to receive 15% off your first order. That's Social Goods, where every transaction comes with real action. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman. You can find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid and on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. And a very special thanks, as always, to Orso for hosting us tonight. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 